All right. Welcome, 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 everybody. Welcome to episode 53 of the Danso Pitch Podcast. I am your host for today, Charles Danso, joined by my co-host as well, Mr. Daniel Goodman. How you doing today? Doing well, man. Always happy to be here. Always a pleasure to drop some knowledge and talk with you, Charles, on interesting topics like this one today. Let's get to it, man. Let's get right into it. Today's episode, very special episode for those tuning in from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as our YouTube viewership. Make sure to subscribe, like, comment on today's episodes and share with your friends, family, colleagues, and those all around. So getting right into today's episode, we want to cover something really special. If you've been in the stock market, if you've been an investor, you've been kind of hearing stories going around about how PayPal has a new service that they're trying to partner with, with Pin Interest. You've been hearing about Bitcoin shooting up and down all over the place. You've been hearing about various companies that invested in cryptocurrency now trying to branch out and do further things with their business. You have third-party merchant, merchant services, people that are entrepreneurs that have had businesses They've been kind of dealing with a lot of merchant services that they're not, maybe their clients aren't able to actually pay for their service or products that they have. We're going to get right into it. But the overall theme of this episode we're going to cover is something that people may not necessarily understand, but we're here to kind of bring the information to you. And that is the industry of fintech. Now, I've, I know a lot of folks have heard that word around. I'm sure Daniel, yourself and myself, obviously we hear that loosely fintech, but nobody really understands what exactly is fintech and why does it seem like every investor is mentioning it? If you ever go on these social media platforms, if you go on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, all these individuals are mentioning fintech. We're going to give you the breakdown of what exactly that is, how that's shaking up the industry. And if you're not to the party as an investor already, it's time you start really looking at this industry because this industry is growing rapidly and this may be the future industry to get into. So getting right into it, I want to give a definition for what exactly fintech is and kind of pull in Daniel as well to kind of give a little bit of insight as to what you can do as an investor in the various markets. I will explain it a little bit. So getting right into it, fintech is financial technology. That's what fintech stands for. It's used to describe how new tech that seeks to improve and automate the delivery and use of financial services. So what does that exactly look like? FinTech also includes the development of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a form of financial technology. It is digital currency. That is one format of FinTech. FinTech also includes third-party merchant payments that includes Cash App, PayPal, Audience, Zelle. You starting to get the you starting to get what exactly FinTech is and also Fintech in practice does deals with budgeting apps as well as of a new way of, of paying. So, Daniel, what are your thoughts as a maybe giving an investor kind of an outlook of where do you think fintech is doing to the market industry right now, the stock market industry? Do you think that it's taking over or do you think that people still are trying to get a better understanding or better feel for it or a little bit of both? Your thoughts? I think those that are using these applications like Cash App, PayPal, uh, even some of the more budgeted focused ones like Mint, uh, there's Credit Karma that have come to the forefront as startup fintechs that have blown up in the recent years. Now that attention is starting to kind of increase, right? Because before, Back in the day, we would only really use PayPal, um, Square, money transfer, peer-to-peer -peer kind of 
uh, applications in the fintech industry, not really recognizing that this was kind of a growing thing on its own, right? So now I think with these new startup techs like Credit Karma, um, like Mint, uh, like uh, you mentioned Zelle, like that's a new fintech arena that they that banks are using for peer-to-peer -peer lending, and even just some of the there, there, there's so many different areas that fintech goes into goes into um, lending. There's there's um, mortgage lending, uh, fintech companies. Um, there's you know there's, there's so many different ones. So I think now that the awareness of fintech is growing that is having an impact on how the market is performing because you know up until this point it's really been kind of just a single umbrella of services that fall into the the scope of you know banking activities right like you see just your casual regular trading services um, savings, you know, just regular stuff that you do at a bank. But now a lot of these fintech applications allow you to, you could move money around within a traditional bank mm -hmm. and you could have it, you know, move into sort of these like Wealthfront, for example. You can, that's, that's a fintech. You could have money move around into a new fintech kind of wealth management uh, application mm -hmm. that gives you an array of services that are what I call kind of fast to market. That's like, you know, instead of doing it at a traditional, um, whether it be a bank or via a brokerage firm, you have these fintech companies that offer these trading services that are um, kind of, you know, more quick and, 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 just smooth and transition like Robin Hood, Robin Hood. like yep. that, you know, yep. so these kind of uh, applications now that we're using, because, you know, if you think about it, our generation and where technology is going, we like it. We like things quick. You know, yeah. we like to we like to just press a few buttons, make a trade yeah. right before you couldn't do that before when you had to trade stocks, whatever the case is. You know, you had to either go through a brokerage, uh, you know, online. It was kind of a slow process. And even before that, we were going into the actual physical stock exchange to do, you know, these transactions. So now fast forwarding to where we are, press a few buttons, boom, you can have your account go from zero to a thousand making, you know, whatever trades you want, or yeah. you can move money around in an instant. So right. I think, and, and this is just the beginning, you know, when you mentioned cryptocurrency and how blockchain is becoming such a big uh, influencer in this fintech industry, mm -hmm. we're going to start to see how, and we mentioned this on a podcast before too, how digital currency is going to kind of be, you know, once it's at the center of financial transactions, fintech is really going to kind of, it's going to, in a, in a sense, overtake banks. If, mm -hmm. if, if you see where I'm going in, you, I can get your thoughts on that as well. But I yeah. think it really is going to be kind of the, the the virtual arena of banks as it takes over. And, you know, we'll get into how it's regulated, but as it, as it gets, as we get more digitized and more technologically advanced, FinTech is just going to overtake what banks really do right now. Exactly. And just kind of following up with what you're saying, fi financial technology is the means of transactions right now. Right now, we're living in a digital era. We're in a digital age. So a lot of things we do over the internet, we do 
our finances over the internet. We do our investments over the internet. We do our shopping over the internet. We do our, our, our watching, our streaming through the internet, whether we listen to music or watching our favorite shows, movies, whatever the case is. So right now, financial technology is at its core. That's, there's, there's not a coincidence that a lot of investment banks, hedge funds are investing money, millions of dollars, even billions for some individuals into this industry. This is why if you look at the stock market, a lot of the companies are tech, technologically advanced companies. Right now, the trillion dollar companies are our technology companies that are heavily involved in fintech, whether you have Microsoft through Azure, whether you have Amazon that they have their own basically shopping online, doing third party payments through their own services. That's another thing that's a trillion dollar company. You have Tesla now, an investor in Bitcoin. They have their own thing. There may be an electric vehicle, but they're also invested into fintech. So that's very important to note. And Apple, of course, Apple is the number one, I would think. They have their own fintech industry, Apple Pay. I could get into that for, for hours. But the point is that fintech is heavily involved, induced into various companies. Also, it, like Daniel mentioned, as an investor, whether you use the platforms of Robinhood, even the traditional Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, they've adopted fintech because now you can go online and actually invest by using a third-party payment to invest into a lot of these stocks, a lot of, a lot of stocks and options that you have through the internet. So it's very important to note, financial technology is, for the audience, the form of transactional payments for us. Now, Daniel mentioned a very key term. How can it be regulated? The audience may try to understand that. How does the government get involved in this? How do they do, you know, kind of a way where maybe they charge like a certain fee? Maybe you have to go and provide your personal information. Daniel, I want, I want you to also share some of your thoughts on that. I know that you are a little bit more versed in that world. So I'm going to kind of give you the floor for that to kind of explain kind of from a security standpoint, how that could kind of affect you as you know you when you get into a lot of this so yeah of course um you know there are as as technology grows right there are a lot of concerns with how data is processed and how information is transferring from one system to another a lot of third party providers and a lot of external parties that work with a bank let's say you know they have to go through certain regulations that are mandated by the government. I'm not gonna get too deep into like what these regulations are, but yeah. you know, basically when it comes into the realm of FinTech, you know, regulatory technologies like red tech is kind of like just basic compliance things. Like does your product meet this security standard? Like is your transactions running on secure networks right like like at a basic level these are the things that for every product and every service that these fintech companies have they have to meet these requirements and from a bank perspective like like jp morgan that's very heavily regulated right because banks have federal regulations state regulations sometimes local regulations and then i'm not even going to talk about global regulations that's a whole different thing so there's so many different regulations that a bank has to kind of pass and, and there's like yearly audits and all of that. And once they get the sign off, then they're good. The chances of a security breach is very low because, you know, 
regulators do their job and they do it pretty aggressively, right? So once you pass that, you're good. But sometimes what can happen, and this is uh, kind of a, 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 not a theme, but it's a concern within new fintech technologies that because of how rapid these products and services are being pushed out and the cycles in which they're, they're kind of being formed and how less regulated certain fintech areas are like cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. that arena within fintech is less regulated. That doesn't mean that it's not, they're not doing their due diligence, but mm-hmm. there's certain hurdles that the company doesn't have to go through mm-hmm. in terms of, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, 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 it's a recommended mm-hmm. practice to do A, but mm-hmm. it's not required. But mm-hmm. for a bank, you have to do A. So you kind of get services out more and, and to, you know, get the, for lack of a better term, exposure and clients, they'll do what's needed mm-hmm. to get the services out, but not what's necessarily recommended. And this is how, you know, if, if the right security team is in place, mm-hmm. things, you know, usually you could usually things you won't really expect a breach but external third parties that aren't doing their part because you could do your part and dave is a perfect example a u.s mobile banking provider they were doing their due diligence right Mm -hmm. but their external third party which was way dev their network was breached. So because their network was breached and whether it was Dave not doing a third party due diligence, like questionnaire, like, okay, how is your security set up? How is this happening? And that's more of a recommendation. That's not a necessarily like you're mandated to do this, right? Like this is like you follow a practice and this is just an example, but this is what happened. WayDev was breached and clients, customers, whatever, all that information that Dave, uh, the, the U.S. banking provider had, was now in the hands of you know, unauthorized users because they got it through the third party. So these are the type of things that when it comes to... I, I want to um, keep you there for a second and mm-hmm. also kind of bringing it back because we also... As we're cognizant of the individuals that are listening, some people may not necessarily try to understand fully what we may be articulating. So what I do want to do is bring it back. And my question to you, Daniel, because again, for the audience that may not know, Daniel is versed in cybersecurity. Daniel went to school for this. Daniel kind of works along the lines of this. This is something that he is passionate about. That's exactly why I did want to have him specifically kind of lead this episode specifically to provide this information for you. Because for me, I'm only speaking from a general standpoint, but I'm like everybody else, guys. I'm still learning as well. Obviously he is, but he's a little bit more versed. So I go to the expert. So kind of explaining what you're saying, Daniel, do you, the question I have for you, and I think a lot of people may be asking that's on, that's listening right now, whether viewing this or listening to this through whatever platforms we're on, Apple, Spotify, remember, what exactly do you think that a lot of these third-party fintech companies such as Cash App, such as PayPal, such as Mint, so Robinhood, do they have too, many, too much information on us? Because think about it. 
They're asking us for where we live, that is our street address. They're asking for our social security information, which Benjamin gives us everything that there is to know about us. They're asking for a license, giving us what state you're in. Did you have any type of criminal stuff that's involved in it? And why do I need all this for something that just involves me investing, buying buying stock, buying ownership in the company? Why do I need all this? Why, why is that important for a company like Robinhood, example, to collect that information? Because a lot of times people can argue with the whole Robinhood controversy. I'm not going to get into it, but for those that you know are familiar with it, again, yeah. there was some stuff mm-hmm. happening not too long ago that involved that. And then some data got a little bit mixed and matched in there. So again, do you think that companies or third-party fintech companies have too much information on us, Daniel? Your thoughts on that? I do. I do. Because I, I think that, and there, there's a baseline, right? Because every company, especially in the financial realm, you know, they have to do what's kind of KYC, know your customer. So it's a due diligence process to verify that Daniel is actually Daniel, right? This is his social, this is where he lives. This is who he is, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's a lot of identity theft things that could happen um, and impersonations and all that. So there's a baseline for where information needs to be collected in order to process it correctly for the right individual. But I think, there's it gets to a point where information is because we we all read the privacy policy right and and that's a that's that's something that every company has to have is a privacy policy to say that your data will only be used for these purposes and not shared with any external parties. yeah so so daniel's basically saying audience so at the end of anything that you fill out like example like robin hood they give you a form but we never read it. We just sign it. But basically, that's yeah. what it is. It just basically makes it if you're if some shit happens, they're not liable. If you actually read through it, that's kind of what it means. So kind of just yep. going back to what you're saying, Daniel. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly that's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. And so, you know, the, these policies are in place to kind of protect the company. But with all of this data that they have stored and their and this is not a general, um, you know, uh, statement for fintech and financial services, but this has happened a lot um, where a system isn't patched or, you know, an employee just leaves a login somewhere and you have somebody just access the system, access the database. Yeah. You know, we've, we've seen the credit card companies that got hacked um, a few years ago. Um, can't remember which one of the three bureaus was hacked, but we remember that, right? Like, like it was Wells whole... Fargo or Bank of America, one of the two, I think. But yeah, yeah, it was one of them. I, yeah. I mean, the um, the uh, the credit the credit agencies, um, uh, one of the three ones. I forgot which bureau was Equifax. Equifax, yeah, yeah. twenty eighteen, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Equifax, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Credit is like every everybody has their information in an Equifax um database, right? Because we're all part of the system. So if a hacker or an off an off, unauthorized party gets access to that mm-hmm. they have so much information on you like it's it's actually pretty scary right so these are the things that i think going back to your question charles is like do these companies have too much information on us i think yes mm-hmm. and the collaboration of other 
not to get too deep into it, but, you know, social engineering techniques like Facebook now, well, not now it's not Facebook. We'll, we'll get into that. Meta, meta, <laughs> it's meta now. Yeah, <laughs> but um, those, you know, social kind of practicings of, of how things are advertised to us and all, all of that data is, it's, it's loosely mm-hmm. surfaced. It's not necessarily shared, but it's loosely surfaced, if that makes sense, because why do you think it's a it's a coincidence that you end up for um, just just some kind of service? Recently, I signed up for solar and then out of nowhere, I'm getting solar, uh, you know, advertisements on YouTube, Mm -hmm. solar advertisements popping up across like my social media feeds. Like it's no coincidence like that. When you put your data into a database that could be completely unrelated mm-hmm. because of the way social engineering works within the tech world, that information, although it's not shared, there's a surface layer that can be captured. And when it comes to like specific, like very, um, you know, high level confidential information, like social security and stuff, yeah, that's, that's going to be in a database. But if the company is not doing their basic system updates. Mm-hmm. The company is not having their training and awareness program up to par. The company mm-hmm. isn't testing their new products and services within some kind of like test environment before you put it out. Imagine if you put out a service that, hey, I could like transfer money peer to peer and you don't like test all of the kinks before you put it out because you want to meet a certain quota or because you want to hit a certain deadline, mm-hmm. right? Like these mm-hmm. things happen. So these are the things where I think, you know, and I, and, and I wanna provide some kind of like, in my case, solutions to these potential vulnerabilities, I would call them. Go ahead. Because, mm-hmm. you know, all of our information within these companies, it's there, right? Like there really isn't much we can do about it now. Like mm-hmm. we've put it in the system, it's there now from our standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, we have to look at the company doing in terms of their data protection, you know, kind of programs. Are they using like multi cloud storages like Google, for example, Google has a lot of multi Amazon, these big companies, they're using multi cloud storages to store data. So Mm -hmm. data can be split. Right. Mm -hmm. So, it's, it's difficult for like an attacker to attack yeah. a data that a database that's split between, you know, that's like all over the place. It's mm-hmm. scattered because then they can't find everything, you know? So like something like that, are they using multi-factor authentication, you know, as a simple like access control kind of thing? Like what mechanisms do they have in place that are going to allow their security to kind of be ahead of the curve, right? Like, are they thinking ahead? What are they doing in terms of investments in cybersecurity, right? Because this this is like a huge, we've had in 2021, even the government was hacked, right? Like we've had a lot of, and, and I know this is drifting into a cybersecurity, you know, arena, but this is important because FinTech is- it ties in, going it ties to, in. Yeah, it yeah. ties in directly because mm-hmm everything is digitized. Everything is going to be based on the technology that we use. Mm-hmm. Our phones are, you know, these are like, you know, IOT devices, right? These phones, we use apps 
<laughs> on our phones all the time. Like who really goes on a computer nowadays to access their bank account? Yeah. We're normally using our phones to do it, right? Yeah. So uh, is our phones updated? Is our phones patched? Yeah. And is their mobile system, you know, up to par? And I know these are like very detailed questions that the average consumer probably wouldn't like ask or do to like yeah. go on. But, but companies have these, you know, they have articles where they publish this information and what they do. It's important to look at it. And yes. the new fintechs that are coming out, you know, look at what, what their kind of program is, right? Are they using hashing, you know, for passwords? Are they using encryptions for their communications? What kind of database do they have? Do, yeah. are, is their network split where it could be, you know, kind of just multi and it's difficult for outsiders to come and attack, right? Because the one of the most, fa- I'm, I'm gonna leave off of this. There's two types of very popular attacks that will happen in the fintech industry. The first one is what's called a DDoS attack. It's a denial of service attack. And that's one of the more popular ones. It's where an outside person, say they're in like, you know, the other side of the country, they take a computer and then they hack into other computers. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like, and they control them. It's like, you know, like, kind of like they're uh, like, like puppets pretty much, puppet computers, Mm -hmm. you know, marionettes, yeah. So, and all these puppet computers then launch an attack at one server. And that's just like a bunch of requests. And that's a DDoS attack in a nutshell. And if you launch that type of attack on a FinTech company, it renders the entire, all their services useless because nobody can access them. It shuts it down. Stay away from them ads, people. Those Stay away from cl- them ads. Cl- click, click this and win this thing. Those, that's kind of what he means. It means that- yep. Once you hit that, you get a multiple, multiple screens probably pop up and that's, yeah. So your computer probably fuck with that. So just be careful audience with that one. Yeah. That's, that's how they, that's how they lock you in as a, put your computer as a puppet. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is ransomware. That's about a hot topic, right? Ransomware, yes. you know, everybody pretty much knows ransomware. They hackers, they'll take your, they take the company data and hold it as ransom and say, you must pay us this amount to get your data back. Mm-hmm. Now, what they do with that data, you know, who knows, really, right? Because they just want their bread. But the fact is, they have it, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the two threats major. There's other threats, too. But these are the, like, two threats that can happen to a company. And then for us, our threats are identity theft, right? Because if someone has our information, they could do whatever they want with it. Yeah. Um, so it's important to, you know, make sure, as we're talking about fintech, make sure you check your credit, right? Credit Karma, you know, is, is pretty good at that with having a comprehensive view of your credit. Check your credit reports, you know, make sure that you're good because nowadays with all the leaks that have happened, it's, it, you want to make sure that you're good, right? Yeah. To catch this before the curve happens. But to circle back and, and bring you back in, Charles, when it comes to how, you know, I think our data and how we just have too much information out there. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree hundred percent. And it's going to continue. It's not, it's not going to revert back because we're becoming so digitized now. I think that, you know, with the, with the rise of FinTech and how everything that we do is just internet based, mm-hmm. our data is, is pretty much the most secure asset that we have agree. You know, in terms of just, you know, from, from a transactions and, and just from, you know, 
just a living standpoint, our data is is our most secure asset. Exactly. And an audience, I, I thank you, Daniel, for that. The audience, I hope listening and took some valuable information from what Daniel's kind of presenting. I will I will challenge and give a little pushback to Daniel a little bit on that because I do believe that from an information collection perspective, when you're collecting data based on a lot of these fintech companies and or third party companies, that there are benefits in that. Because just like he said, KYC, right, right. know your client, you also have the antithesis to that. And that's AML, which is anti-money laundering, which a lot of people do through a lot of these fintech payment platforms, whatever the case is. So what does it exactly mean? That means that you're sending increments of money, sending it based on other foreign overseas. Even now, people are doing that more so in a domestic aspect. Money used for illegal activities or doing something that you probably shouldn't be doing you know, with whatever you're initially using that money for, whatever the case is, the money that you're getting and using or pushing across for illegal activities. So having that information, that's why uh, for my Africans, Caribbeans out there, You've heard about the scamming people, uh, Americans too, we have the scammers, but it happens a lot more frequently based on <laughs> where we deal. So this is how a lot of people, so you see a lot of these foreign rappers kind of flexing and a couple couple months later, or a year later, you hear they're in jail. That is because that the information that they're using through these third party individuals, they already have, remember Daniel mentioned it, doesn't matter where, where you live, they already have your social security information they don't need a sense of security. When you log on, they already know where you're logging on, your location from your phone. So if you think you're using somebody else's phone, they can still, because every phone has a chip. Why do you think Apple and Samsung, they make the most profit through their phones? That's not a coincidence because everything is done on your phone. That is why Apple iPhones are so expensive. That's why Androids are so expensive because they know that now you have your internet, you have your, you do everything on your phone. You, you basically now kids are even cheating using their phones. Yeah. Like it's crazy. They're getting answers through their phones. So think about this. This is just how far along we've come and financial financial technology plays a huge factor in that because of the fact, as you mentioned, data is collected through that. I think also for the audience, another thing I would mention is this is why it's important to understand coding. It's, under, it's important to understand SQL, Python. I can go on and on because a lot of companies are throwing big money to, for people that are able to authenticate, like he said, have multi-authentications, multi are able to build sequence platforms where you can actually trigger a lot of this data that you're managing, ways that you can build something out that hackers are going to have a hard time trying to access that information. That is not a coincidence that if, like I mentioned, the most profitable companies are technology-based companies because of the fact that, again, they're able to manage the data that nobody else can do in their day-to-day -day operations. So they're trying to come along with the Amazons, with the Microsofts, Apples of the world, because of the fact that like Daniel mentioned earlier, they have their own platforms in place. That's why I, I, I know uh, Microsoft is Azure, I think, right? Yeah. I, I could mm -hmm. be wrong. I think Amazon has Microsoft their own Azure. thing. Yeah, so I think again, like I mentioned, these are all platforms that are able to authenticate a lot of this data. Now kind of transitioning to another thing Daniel mentioned, Mark Zuckerberg, good job. 
Good job, guy. Good job. Man knows what he's doing, man. He's, he's a gangster. <laughs> you got to give the guy shit. He's a gangster. I got to give him that. Because <laughs> a lot of people have been asking, why is it that Facebook is changing their name to some something that was totally different? Meta, I believe, right? So yep. why is that? Why is Facebook doing this? What is Mark Zuckerberg thinking? And me and Daniel here, audience, to give you the explanation as to why Facebook is now becoming meta as of December 1st. I think he's going to change it earlier, but you can start. I think the the, the the ticker symbol, I have it up for you guys, is going to be like MTVS or something like that. So again, very important, guys. Facebook will be no more in a, in a month's time. So whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know that this is not something that this he thought of overnight right this no, is like a no. years in the making years yeah. in planning right Year, years facebook in planning is huge mm-hmm. facebook is huge so yeah you I, know I, yeah ahead, no no i i just to kind of <laughs> piggyback with what you're saying yeah facebook is huge because a lot of people don't forget facebook owns whatsapp instagram oculus i think there's two more other pl- things WhatsApp, that facebook yeah. what yeah i mentioned again and these mm-hmm. are billion dollars worth uh, basically platforms or that are fall under the Facebook umbrella. So it's very important. A lot of people are questioning saying that, oh, because that Congress was grilling Zuckerberg, this and that. I think that's a small reason. And obviously I'm not Mark Zuckerberg and Daniel isn't either. So we can't give you as to what his actual thinking is. But if I was to put myself in his shoes, I think that he was always thinking virtual reality. Oculus is the virtual reality gaming system. He's he's done part he's doing partnerships with gaming companies because I think that he really believes that virtual reality is the is the way to go. I think we had a previous podcast discussing how virtual reality has taken over the gaming world mm-hmm. or the world altogether, where people are investing billions, not even just in America markets, but in the Asian markets, and now even transition to the African market as well. So this is very important. So it's it's important that. You audience, you're listening that Mark Zuckerberg, like Daniel mentioned, has had this plan for, I'm sure, about a year, even probably more than that, where he eventually was going to transition Facebook out and to, to fit the virtual reality mold that he's looking at for the overall, the overall of Facebook now becoming meta. Now, how does that kind of impact? And, I'm, and Daniel, I'm going to get your thoughts in a little bit on this. The other various platforms such as Instagram, WhatsApp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he's not stupid. In order for him to spread out the the information that he wants, Facebook is the company that has the most data. This is why Apple tried to do a partnership, but Mark Zuckerberg said, yo, fuck you, Tim Cook. I could do this shit myself. I don't need you. I have the money. I have have all the the marketing that I can do because I have the most I have the most numbers. I have the most people under my umbrella. He has WhatsApp, Instagram. Now, I didn't even mention Facebook as his own entity yet. That's very important to know. He controls the most data from a social media standpoint. This is why Congress is is trying to grow Mark Zuckerberg, but they can never be him because he just has too much money. And there's nothing that they really could tie him to negatively, per se, that can kind of deter him from breaking up this company. But but the government knows, other tech companies know that Facebook controls the social spectrum, the whole social media spectrum. How many times, just audience, how many times do you go on social media a day? How many times do I go on social media a day? Too much to count. 
I don't even realize it sometimes that I'm on there, but this is the program that, that living in a technological era has induced in us to just go on, see, learn about other people's lives, maybe include our own, do whatever the case is. And Mark Zuckerberg understand that. Now, how do you keep the audience fully engaged in the social world or the internet world, introducing virtual reality, creating a lifestyle, living in a life that you can be fully, I know it's, it sounds crazy. I may be going crazy. So Danny, I'm going to bring you in on this, but no, no, having, no. Having, <laughs> having you fully in the whole internet where your whole life is based in the internet, how, what does that do for him? Ad dollars, marketing, everything goes up more and more revenue. So he continues to be the top. He wants to be number one. You think that he looks at Elon Musk and, and Bill Gates. He's like, he don't be number one. He knows what he's doing. So it's very important. But, and I'm bringing Daniel in there. When is too much enough? That is a question you have to ask yourself as an audience. When is too much enough? When one company literally owns about 90% of data in the world, maybe a little bit more in terms of from a social media spectrum. Because remember, he's dealing in WhatsApp. He's dealing in Instagram. What is the number one? I didn't even mention Facebook as the main entity that people go on social media in all continents that have inhabitants or humans that use social media. It's mainly controlled by one man and his team. So when is enough too much, Daniel? Your thoughts on that? It's a good question, man. You know, when, when you reach a, a monopoly of that size, because I consider Facebook a monopoly of Notice. data at this yeah. point, <laughs> you know, it's it's really hard to, it's one thing it's going to do, and I'm always going to circle back to this, is it's going to make his company a target. Yes, right. Always. It's going to make it a target. Now, it's yeah. a, Facebook kind of already has a big red dot on it already, because mm -hmm. it's had its dealings with, you know, a couple of hackers trying to get in and stuff. But I think with this new virtual reality being integrated into the social media spectrum, it's just going to invite a whole array of hackers who want to try the shits, right? Like they're going to challenge the security of this new way of social media, right? Because as you said, Charles, the way virtual reality is going to integrate with social media it could be similar to, I don't know if anyone's watched the movie Ready Player One, but that was pretty much a virtual mm -hmm. simulation of lifestyle in a game, right? Yeah. Like people were going to the mall in a game, right? Mm -hmm. As crazy as that sounds, it's yeah. like it's like some like something out of the matrix, right? Yeah. But now it's it's coming to the forefront as a possibility, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas 20 years ago, it's just, you know, this is a sci-fi. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to all of those into all of those implementations you know and and you can imagine right virtual reality may have certain biometric considerations like yeah. this person may have to validate themselves with a fingerprint and eye scan like it's already started knows? my company you know? already started doing it so yeah <laughs> there you it, go it, see yeah. it's it's there so yeah. all of those things being kind of pulled in to this new way it's going to invite a lot of uh, contest. It's going to invite a lot of, um, you know, security concerns. Mm -hmm. And it's also going to provide a lot of opportunity for job growth. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, when it comes to that data management, Mark, he has his hands tied. He's, he's, he's going to have a rough time because, it is. Yeah. It, you know, he's already facing, you know, what I would call a lot of controversy and a lot of 
questions surrounding his 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 motives for his doing motives, this, yeah. and you know, also just based on Facebook's previous incidents with you know unauthorized users, right? So yeah. I think it's it's really going to be difficult, but you know, I know he'll do it. He'll make it, he'll make it happen, and. Mm-hmm when it's fully fleshed out and when it's fully, when all the kinks are there, it's really going to, um, it, it's for, <laughs> I think for Gen X, you know, and, and even the millennials, I think we'll adapt to it with, you know, we'll have one eye open, but we'll adapt to it. Yeah. Um, but the generation before us, you know, like, yeah, like, I, I mean, I, my, I, my, like, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be something we, we like, they're not going to touch. Right. Cause yeah. it's, it's so far beyond. Yeah, and that's just with, and to a reasonable degree. Right. Mm-hmm. Because there's a huge security concern in that. Yeah. Like virtual reality for like myself, like that's, that's crazy to picture. Right. Yeah. And you know, so, uh, but yeah, to, to answer your question, Charles, I think, you know, there is a lot of data circulating and, my concern as a consumer that is already within that data pool is how can I protect my data as much as I can within this new way, right? Because mm-hmm. it's already there. It's not like, you know, Facebook becoming meta, they're just going to spit the data out of the system. Like it's still going to be there, right? Correct. So now it's all about how is my data going to be managed and who is going to have access to my data? Who is part of this new meta integration? Right. Because we think, yeah, it's just going to be Instagram, WhatsApp, Ocular, all of these companies under the umbrella of Facebook. But Mm -hmm. what third parties are going to now be involved? Right. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of companies that work with Facebook already that use this social engineering techniques to get us to buy things. So how is that going to now impact when we move into this VR kind of arena how what's that gonna do with my data you know exactly am i gonna have like thousand spam calls coming at me you know like Mm -hmm. it's just all of these considerations as for us that's that's where we have to really look at these privacy policies and look at what mark is doing and what the team is doing from a security standpoint what's going to be happening what's going to happen with my data and mark his team they need to concern themselves with how can i further protect our databases from you know new threats because mm-hmm. new technology always equals new threats correct yeah somebody always wants something that's happening now or what's controlling the spectrum right now so it's very important audience that again really read the information that's presented to you and i myself am taking my own advice really understand that and if you don't understand that i think having individuals like daniel having other people that can kind of break that down for you in a way that you're not necessarily just signing something off or giving something away i mean they already have it so there's nothing you can do it's inevitable but there's a way you can kind of control it a little bit without giving too much too early And I think just kind of piggybacking off of the Facebook aspect, again, investing in these companies and and social and creating these, buying these social media platforms, excuse me, such as WhatsApp, Instagram, Oculus, again, because we fall as millennials, we were part of that generation that welcomed technology and kind of didn't really understand what it was. We kind of fall in the middle. So again, and and it it falls in the spectrum as to, like you said, our older generation, our parents, they didn't come from that world but they've adapted. Our parents use WhatsApp, some are on Facebook, some are on Instagram. And then you have the generation after us that know all they know is 
social media. All they know is the internet, is technology. They don't even understand that there was a time where you had to actually go to your neighbor's house. You couldn't even just call on the phone. You would actually go outside. They didn't even know that you used to play outside. Now I see kids literally just indoors doing YouTubes. That's great and everything, but come on. I mean, there is a world outside of virtual reality, but I do enjoy virtual reality because I enjoy technology. I love technology. I myself have a company that induced in technology, building websites, and that includes technology. So it's important to note that, again, I'm speaking from two sides, but I understand the importance of what technology can do, but it can also be harmful if you don't really understand what you're doing when having somebody that may be coming in that may be coming in to do harm. But I think what Mark Zuckerberg is doing right now is he's trying to see what is next for for the world in the terms of technology. That's why he's doing partnerships with gaming companies. That's why he's involved in fintech and cryptocurrency. Facebook is, is an inviter of cryptocurrency because what does that mean? Because I, I said this in po- way podcast before. I yeah. said that I think, I think cryptocurrency in the next 10 to 15 will be the form of currency. I really do. I'm not saying that the, the, the dollars, the paper dollars gone, but I just think that how the world is moving, where you have continents such as Africa, Asia, even Australia, they're adopt, they've adopted cryptocurrency. For better or worse, it's adopted. It's here. There's nothing you can do. I'm sorry, old, as older folks that's listening, it's inevitable. There's nothing you can do now. Yeah, it's the, here. The so, is, it's, it's, yeah. it's here, right? Exactly. And this, it's gonna, we, we've mentioned this on the other podcast too, Charles. Like This is mm-hmm. going to literally be the future of currency, right? Yeah. Currency yeah. is going to be digitized. Exactly. Tech is going to be, you know, th- what we have now as normal services like brick and mortar financial services is being overtaken by fintech. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Mark Zuckerberg is just being ahead of the curve and Tim Cook being ahead of the curve. Like, like, because Apple, we talked about the Apple car on the other podcast, mm-hmm. right? These new technological innovations are just being ahead of the curve and forward thinking of what's next because the the, the now, rich yeah. correct the richest individuals in the world are rich for a reason because they are ahead of the curve they're induced in financial technology they have adopted to the technology technological world tesla that's a futuristic car microsoft is futuristic they're in in the way of they're moving ahead of the curve facebook is in is thinking about the future so was as daniel mentioned daniel i get your closing thoughts but like I said, what I feel, like I said, is financial technology is something that you should be invested in. That is the world. That is the currency. That is what we do in our day-to-day lives without maybe even realizing it a lot of times. Now, even when you go to the store, a lot of times they're just asking for your credit card. That's financial technology. <laughs> they, they can't even pay with regular cash anymore. A lot of places now, they're asking for cards because that is a form of financial technology. That, that's your data, that's your information on your, those credit cards, debit cards. That's very important to note. So again, understanding the information will only better you, will only help you as an individual understand how the world is shaping out. So become an investor. I, I recommend it. I'm not, of course, I can't put a gun to your head, but <laughs> I think Daniel will share his thoughts. I, I think it's something really understanding steady. But also, as Daniel mentioned, to some aspect, what I mentioned is understand that you're, there is data out there on you, whether you like it or not. 
So make sure that if you are putting data out there, that you understand the data and what and what maybe is uses for. Because if you are going through these various fintech channels, understand that your information will be given, but also understand what what they may not be liable for if something knock on wood was to happen. So that's kind of the risk you have to take. But like I mentioned, I love it. I, I enjoy it. I, I, like I said, I, I'm part of I'm part of technology. I love technology. But I also understand that too much technology sometimes could hinder you in the long run. So just be careful out there, audience. That's my last thoughts. Daniel, your last thoughts as well. Yep. I'll just leave with this. Your, your data is your most valuable asset, um, you know, in this, in this world, um, in this technological world. So be mindful of how you share your data. There's a lot of fintech companies out there. You know, we mentioned a few, but I guarantee you there are hundreds. So, and there's going to be a new one every day. Mm-hmm. So just because it sounds good doesn't mean from a security perspective, it is good, right? So just make sure that you're doing your homework with some of these companies before you allow them to use your data, right? Because once your data is in the system, it's not coming out. Yeah, you can unsubscribe and all of that and cancel, but the data is still going to be there. You're just not, it's not going to be active data, but it's going to be data. It's still going to be there somewhere, right? So just make sure that this, this data transfer of information to a service or, you know, a fintech company, whatever the case is, it's a one-way trip, right? So when you, so read those privacy policies, read them, read them, read them, understand what you're signing up for and, just make sure that you always protect your data, you know, do the things that you need to do on your end. MFAs, make sure that they have multi-factor authentication services, make sure they have different ways to make, to have your information secure um, and take advantage of what is out there that you can use, right? Because there are a lot of great FinTech companies. And you mentioned like Credit Karma is really great at, at managing credit. There's a lot of, you know, there's, you know, just there's, there's a lot of them, right? Um, so just, you know, and it's going to keep increasing. So definitely, definitely, definitely advise anyone listening to invest in these upcoming companies, see what they're doing, see what partnerships they're doing and just get in while, you know, it's low and it's, it's, and it's low to get in. Cause when it's hot, it's already too late. Right. right. So I'll leave it on that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, again, guys, any questions, feel to reach, reach out to us at the Dan Soul Pitch. Also, our email is info at dancelsolutions.com. That is, again, our main branch. This episode will be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube and SoundCloud. Uh, Patreon content coming soon. I know you guys have been asking. We're coming real soon. Special appearance. Maybe doing a guest. More details to follow on that. But again, thank you all. Make sure the information that you've heard today, whether you're watching or or listening, that you really take it because, again, that information can only benefit you in the long run. Financial technology is here to stay. Your data is already out there. But how do you better protect? That is the question that I want to leave you guys today. Thank you all. Till next time. Peace. Peace, y'all.